0: Welcome to episode 53 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk all about bacon, lucky strikes, and the power of propaganda. Let's get right into it with our host, Tammy Fisher.
1: Hey folks, today we're going to talk about candor versus propaganda. And we think this is timely because of what is happening with Facebook as an influencer of the American mind. Because what Facebook is doing is the same thing as political parties and politicians are doing. It's not intellectually honest, of course, because its goal is to ride a wave or turn a ripple into a wave so that the public is persuaded to a course of thinking that meets the goals of the influencer. But influence like we see today isn't new to us, but the effect is much quicker. The time it takes to influence the human mind is much shorter and doesn't require facts or evidence. It simply requires a compelling message that plays on bias. And propaganda has a powerful effect on the public mind. And the thing about propaganda is that oftentimes now
0: it's subtle. But as Chris Jamie tells us, quote, Just because something isn't a lie does not mean that it isn't deceptive. A liar knows that he is a liar. But one who speaks mere portions of truth in order to deceive is a craftsman of destruction. End quote.
1: And right now we're headed towards destruction because we engage with one another based upon belief, not facts, not evidence, not knowledge. And functioning on belief is dangerous. Because as Frank
0: Herbert tells us, quote, belief can be manipulated. Only knowledge is dangerous, end quote.
1: We have become an intellectually lazy society, and listen, folks, that's by design. Because if we stop thinking Morons get into power. That's how it works. If we all paid attention, dug into the facts and evidence, and were discerning on what we choose to believe, we would have a credible government at all levels. Because unqualified politicians in positions of power exist in a vacuum of knowledge. If you look at the most unqualified of politicians in our state and in our national government on both sides of the political aisle, they have one thing in common— their ability to sell and promulgate propaganda, which causes division. Because when the public is focused on fighting amongst itself, it's a convenient distraction from the gross incompetence of the inept politicians. We don't pay attention to the obvious and glaring deficiencies of the politician. Rather, we focus on how we need to beat each other up. It's a handy trick, and it's performed by the media, politicians, political parties, corporations, you name it. And the Achilles heel to this handy trick, knowledge, actual knowledge about facts and evidence. And we, you and I, are the only ones preventing good people from entering public service. Because when we become intellectually lazy, we allow the proliferation of crazy extremism, which embeds itself in government. And we become intellectually lazy because we are freaking tired. We are busy trying to make a living trying to raise our families, trying to care for our elders. And we are so busy that whatever propaganda is released that seems like an easy solution gets our attention because we don't have an ounce of brain power left in our busy days to devote to facts and evidence and discerning thought. And we are bombarded by propaganda. It's as free-flowing as a flathead river. It's drowning out our critical thinking. So the propagandists win. Some folks are masters of propaganda. Others are so dumb that they can't even get the propaganda right. Matt Rosendale, man, he's the perfect example of this. That guy has the intelligence of a gnat. No offense to gnats. But masters of propaganda and influence have been around for centuries. There's a great book aptly titled Propaganda that was written in 1928 by Edward Lewis Bernays that literally gives us the roadmap. map to influencing the masses, all the components of which are as true today as they were in
0: 1928. Let's talk about who Edward Bernays was. Edward Louis Bernays, born November 22nd, 1891, was an American pioneer in the field of public relations and propaganda, referred to in his obituary as, quote, the father of public relations, end quote. Bernays was named one of the 100 most influential Americans of the 20th century by Life magazine. His best-known campaigns include a 1929 effort to promote female smoking by branding cigarettes as feminist, torches of freedom, and his work for the United Fruit Company in the 1950s connected with the CIA-orchestrated overthrow of the democratically elected Guatemalan government in 1954. He worked for dozens of major American corporations, including Procter and Gamble and General Electric, and for government agencies, politicians, and nonprofit organizations. Of his many books, Crystallizing Public Relations in 1923 and Propaganda in 1928 gained special attention as early efforts to define and theorize the field of public relations. He described the masses as irrational and subject to herd instinct and outlined how skilled practitioners could use crowd psychology and psychoanalysis to control them in desirable ways. Bernays later synthesized many of these ideas in his post-war book, Public Relations, in 1945, which outlines the science of managing information released to the public by an organization in a manner most advantageous to the organization. Bernays used his uncle Sigmund Freud's idea to help convince the public, among other things, that bacon and eggs was the true all-American breakfast. In the 1930s, his Dixie Cup campaign was designed to convince consumers that only disposable cups were sanitary by linking the imagery of an overflowing cup with subliminal images of vaginas and venereal disease. (laughs) I'm not kidding. When he started working for American Tobacco Company, Bernays was given the objective of increasing lucky strike sales among women, who, for the most part, had formally avoided smoking. The first strategy was to persuade women to smoke cigarettes instead of eating. Bernays began by promoting the ideal of thinness itself, using photographers, artists, newspapers, and magazines to promote the special beauty of thin women. It was his persuasion that caused medical authorities to promote the choice of cigarettes over sweets. Homemakers were told that keeping cigarettes on hand was a social necessity. In 1934, Bernays was asked to deal with women's apparent reluctance to buy Lucky Strikes because their green and red package clashed with standard female fashions. When Bernays suggested changing the package to a neutral color, Lucky Strike refused, saying that they had already spent millions advertising the package. Bernays then worked to make green a fashionable color. The centerpiece of his efforts was the Green ball a social event at the Waldorf Astoria hosted by Narcissa Cox Vanderlip. The pretext for the ball and its unnamed underwriter was that the proceeds would go to charity. Famous society women would attend wearing green dresses. Manufacturers and retailers of clothing and accessories were advised of the excitement growing around the color green. Intellectuals were enlisted to give highbrow talks on the theme of green. Before the ball had taken place, newspapers and magazines, encouraged in various ways by Bernays' office, had latched on to the idea that Green was all the rage. Throughout the job, Bernays concealed the fact that he was working for the American Tobacco Company and succeeded in keeping his own name out of the affair as well. Staff were instructed never to mention his name. Third parties were used and various notable people received payments to promote smoking publicly as if... On their own initiative. And here's the irony, folks Bernays
1: himself didn't smoke cigarettes, and he persistently tried to induce his wife, Doris, to quit smoking. Bernays argued that the covert use of third parties to spew his propaganda was morally legitimate because those parties were morally autonomous actors. Of
0: course, that assumes that those third parties had morals, right? Quote, if you can influence the leaders, either with or without their conscious cooperation, you automatically influence the group, which they sway, he said. In order to promote sales of bacon, for example, he conducted research and
1: found that the American public ate a very light breakfast of coffee, maybe a roll and orange juice. He went to his own physician and found that a heavy breakfast was sounder from the standpoint of health than a light breakfast because the body loses energy during the night and needs it during the day. So he asked his own physician if he would be willing, of course at no cost, to write to 5,000 physicians and ask them whether their judgment was the same as his, thereby confirming his judgment. About 4,500 physicians actually answered back all concurring that a more significant breakfast was better for the health of the American people than a light breakfast. So he arranged for this finding to be published in newspapers throughout the country with headlines like 4,500 physicians urge bigger breakfast, while other articles stated that bacon and eggs would be a central part of breakfast. And as a result of these actions, what happens? The sale of bacon goes up. Bernays pioneered the public relation industry's use of mass psychology and other social sciences to design its public persuasion campaigns. He said, if we understand the mechanisms and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their even knowing about it? The recent practice of propaganda has proved that it is possible, at least up to a certain point and within certain limits. And that was in 1928 when he talked about the recent practice of propaganda. Bernays expanded on Walter Lippmann's concept of stereotype,
0: arguing that predictable elements could be manipulated for mass effects. Quote, but instead of a mind, universal literacy has given the common man a rubber stamp. A rubber stamp inked with advertising slogans, with editorials, with published scientific data, with the trivialities of tabloids and the profundities of history, but quite innocent of original thought. Each man's rubber stamp is the twin of millions of others, so that when these millions are exposed to the same stimuli, all receive identical imprints. The amazing readiness with which large masses accept this process is probably accounted for by the fact that no attempt is made to convince them that black is white. Instead, their preconceived hazy ideas that a certain gray is almost black or almost white are brought into sharper focus. Their prejudices, notions, and convictions are used as a starting point, with the result that they are drawn by a thread into passionate adherence To a given mental picture, end quote. Not only psychology, but sociology played an important role for the Public Relations Council, according to Bernays. The individual is, quote, a cell organized into the social unit. Touch a nerve at a sensitive spot, and you get an automatic response from certain specific members of the organism, end quote.
1: And you can see how this plays out in propaganda today. You just touch a nerve and it takes off. That's all that's required. So how have we seen this manipulation of thought, this propaganda, play out recently? Well, let's watch. Democrats have been insisting, some with the assistance of the media, that President Joe Biden's agenda is, quote, popular. But poll numbers from a wide variety of polls, both liberal and conservative, don't tell the tale of a popular agenda. Even his party members in Congress aren't on the same page with his agenda. But yet the DNC and some in the media continue to tell us Biden's agenda is popular. Joe Biden ran his entire 2020 campaign arguing he'd make the country safe from COVID by following the science. Yet more Americans have died of COVID in 2021 under his administration than in 2020 under Trump. And here's the thing. A president can't stop a virus like that's not how it works. That isn't how science work. And so for Joe Biden to say that he's going to stop a virus by following the science, it was just a fraud. That's not true. And it was Trump that ushered in the vaccine. If we're being honest, intellectually honest, it was Trump that ushered in the vaccine. Blaming Trump then for vaccine hesitancy is just a great diversion by the Democratic National Committee When Kamala Harris, the vice president herself, said she was skeptical of the vaccine because it was developed while Trump was in office. The fact is, people were led to believe that Biden could stop the coronavirus. He can't, but he sold that bag of goods and many believed it because they were voting from a legitimate place of fear. And a belief that a guy who campaigned from the basement could stop a virus is compelling. But it's also absurd when you think about it critically. Take, for example, another person,
0: Tom Cotton, who Mickey and I like very much. He tweeted this. Joe Biden promised not to raise taxes on anyone earning less than four hundred thousand dollars, but he wants to give the IRS access to your personal bank account if you have just six hundred dollars. Once again, Biden is not telling the truth, he said. But giving access to a bank account is not the equivalent of raising taxes. Neither is
1: the bullshit people are saying that inflation is a tax. No, it's not. It's a consequence of supply and demand. It's not a tax created by government that goes into government coffers. But people believe it because it sounds good. What Cotton should have said is, here's how Biden thinks he's going to pay for his plan. He's going to raise taxes on corporations. Those corporations supply goods to Americans. Those corporations are going to increase the cost of their goods to account for their increased tax liability. So no, he won't raise your taxes. He will just raise your cost of living expenses. It's all a shell game. And he should have said that this proposal to monitor your bank accounts when you withdraw $600 or deposit $600 is complete and utter horseshit and will lead more Americans than we currently have to stuff their cash in their mattresses instead of into banks, and then the banks won't have the money to lend on, which will cause companies to fail for a lack of access to capital. But no, propaganda causes a sharper reaction than candor. How about the Democrat proposals for a new congressional district in Montana? None of their proposals reflect any type of geographical boundary that makes sense or reflects the different economic interests that have a clear dividing line in the state of Montana. They are gerrymandering plain as day, but with a straight face. That stuff is pumped out as legitimate proposals, hoping that no one pays attention. They're hoping that you don't actually look at the maps they're drawing. They're hoping that you don't realize it. And they'll just say, no, we're not gerrymandering. We think this is fair. But if you look at the maps, it's clear gerrymandering. And they want to gerrymander for good reason, because persuasion based on facts and evidence and principles of a political party is hard, especially when the DNC has done nothing but harm the Montana Democratic Party. They don't have a good platform to spring from and that Montanans like. And so I can see why they feel like they have to gerrymander in order to have even a shot at getting a congressional seat. But that doesn't make the gerrymandering okay, and it also still is smoke and mirrors for the truth. How about Biden saying, my Build Back Better agenda costs zero dollars. A trillion dollars now costs zero dollars. Yet he sells it, thinking we will believe it. What have you ever purchased that costs nothing? And if that were true, why do congressional Democrats keep trying to cut the cost of the bill? If it costs zero dollars, why cut it? What's there to cut? But here's the obvious statements that completely misstate content. This is really where we are intellectually dishonest. And those of
0: us reading are intellectually lazy. Listen to this tweet by Steve Daines. Quote, labeling parents as threats because they hold elected school board members accountable for what's going on in the classroom is a clear attempt to silence political opposition, he said.
1: Now, from this statement, you would think that Senator Daines had at his hand a letter or memo or directive labeling parents as threats or something that indicated an attempt to silence political opposition by parents. But he didn't have any of that. What he had was a letter or a directive that never once used the word parent. Matt Rosendale, of course, because this is what Matt Rosendale does, took the same document and
0: said in his tweet, quote, I am outraged that the Biden administration has directed the FBI to investigate parents for daring to oppose the teaching of critical race theory to their children. What's next for this administration? Threatening to send concerned parents to Gitmo, he said. So you would think that the directive would again
1: use the word parent or the phrase critical race theory, right? Well, let's read the actual directive and let me know if you hear the word
0: parent or critical race theory. From the Office of the Attorney General, dated October 4th, 2021, in recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate among policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education and a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. The department takes these incidents seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when appropriate. In the coming days, the department will announce a series of measures designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Coordination and partnership with local law enforcement is critical to implementing these measures for the benefit of our nation's nearly 14,000 public school districts. To this end, I am directing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, working with each United States attorney to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal judicial district within 30 days of the issuance of this memorandum. These meetings will facilitate the discussion of strategies for addressing threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff, and will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. The department is steadfast in its commitment to protect all people in the United States from violence, threats of violence, and other forms of intimidation and harassment. That's it. That's it. So nowhere in that document is the word
1: parent or critical race theory. Both Danes and Rosendale got it wrong. But worse yet, they were both fed the document from the same source, a third party who remains anonymous, fed the accompanying propaganda from the same third party anonymous source and either didn't bother to read the document or worse, read it and didn't care that it didn't reflect what was in their propaganda statements and made statements that were patently false. I fully expect that kind of crap from Rosendale. But Steve Daines, come on, man. These politicians are willing to be spoon-fed bullshit and serve it up as the truth, knowing it's false or not caring enough about the people they serve to tell them the truth. They care about self-preservation and riding a wave. They don't care about candor. And they're so dumb that they don't recognize that candor would have had the exact same effect except you wouldn't have alienated teachers and school board members. It would have had the same effect to be candid as the propaganda. If they look at the directive, where apparently the Biden administration, through its attorney general, thinks us Montanans are too stupid to govern ourselves, you would find that the right response would be candid and consistent with the Republican platform and our Montana values. Here's what Mickey
0: and I think they should have said. As a Montanan and a Republican on behalf of the Montanans I serve, I object to this directive. While we wholeheartedly believe that no volunteer public servant or teacher should be attacked in a public forum, harassed or threatened, our Montana law enforcement is well equipped to handle any criminal acts levied against Montana elected officials and educators. Violence of any sort will not be tolerated in Montana, and I have confidence that our local law enforcement will deal with any threats or harassment of community members swiftly and justly, without the need for Big Brother government, the federal government stepping in. Thanks for the support, but Montana has this issue handled. So, wouldn't that have been better? Yes. Wouldn't you have not alienated teachers and volunteer
1: public servants? Correct. And you still would have held true to your principles of less government. We've got it handled. So, backing the blue, no violence. All of that kind of stuff that matters to Montanans. That's right. Instead of spewing propaganda, that's just a lie. And you're just amping up people for no reason, just for the purpose of amping them up, because you must want a diversion from your own incompetence because there's no other reason to do it. So instead of a candid response that actually reflects the desires of all Montanans, our elected officials choose the propaganda route because it's easier than to think independently or on behalf of Montanans. The truth is they don't care about us and how we might react to their lies. They care about reelection and they are willing to have their strings pulled by propaganda machines because they fear the truth may not be popular. So Danes and Rosendale are willing to be mules, not kingpins, not leaders, but mules. They simply peddle the propaganda they are given. And Edward Bernays tells us about these propagandists, this invisible
0: government. Quote, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized in almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind, end quote. And again,
1: Politicians are just pawns in the propaganda game, and they are easily bought because they are driven by a desire for approval, not a desire to do good for us. Harriet Breaker explains this well when she says If you're an approval addict, your behavior is as easy to control as that of any other junkie. All a manipulator need do is a simple two step process give you what you crave and then threaten to take it away. Every drug dealer in the world plays this game. So remember, folks, when you can't read the facts, when you can't be bothered to investigate statements made by politicians or the media, you are acting exactly the way the propagandists and the politicians want you to act. Montanans are known for their ability to call a spade a spade. We are simple folk, but we are not stupid. And when we were told as kids, don't believe everything you read, our elders were on to something. Take the time to think critically, to seek the truth, because if we don't, we will never stop the propaganda machine, a machine that will continue to sow chaos and division to meet its ends. Because a dumb Montanan is cheaply bought and easily swayed, which places our Montana values at risk of extinction.
0: Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Consider sponsoring the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. Find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is Montana Values Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.